As a university student, you're probably thinking, what can you do to increase your portfolio of knowledge? Whether that be studying your favorite subject, gaining work experience, doing voluntary experience, all of these things add up to make your personal brand stronger and make you look distinct among others. How is our brain benefiting from the subjects we may dislike doing in university or school? What makes a great mentor or teacher to create a climate of engagement for people to feel energized to work with you? How do you adapt your teaching style to differing cultures and environments? Well, to get insights on all of this, we invited Prashan, who is the course director of the Bachelor of Commerce degree at Macquarie University and is an economics lecturer as well. He has worked at Macquarie University for the last 20 years and has gone abroad to teach internationally in countries such as Pakistan, Bangladesh and China. This episode explores how we can increase student engagement, the benefits of leveraging the university experience, and lessons we can learn to become an inspiring mentor, teacher, or leader for the next generation of students. You're listening to the Brightness Unleashed podcast. Hello, Prashan. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this evening. We want to first focus on your journey in education especially being from a tutor in the early stages of your career all the way up to being a senior lecturer and now the course director of Bachelor of Commerce at Macquarie University. Nari and I really want to dive into what really sparked your passion in education. Can you just tell us a bit about uh, how did that all start, especially in the education space? How did your passion begin? Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Naren. Uh, wow, I think the passion for teaching began in the education space before university. Um, I was one of the elder cousins in the extended family, uh, always helping my cousins with their homework and or teaching them the content from scratch. Uh, and also uh, in high school, I was one of the ones um, that my friends would call on the old landlines and help them work through their homework and teach them. So at that age, I really hadn't figured out what I wanted to do as a career, but it seemed my extended family, uh, aunties, uncles, cousins figured out they'll probably end up being a teacher one day and probably end up being a teacher at a university. So I think everyone around me had realized it well before I had. Joining uni, again, everyone's borrowing my notes. Everyone's coming to me to explain the content the lecturer talked about. Uh, So it did continue. And then in my honors year in 2003, I started taking some tutes officially uh, as a paid job, Uh, but have been teaching, uh, I don't know, since age 13 to my cousins and until I started teaching formally at university. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting how that passion of yours kind of started at a very young age and you already knew where you're heading. Whereas I, a lot of people that I've met are kind of clueless at the beginning and they're still trying to figure out that number one ambition of theirs. Where do they want to go? Can they experiment certain uh, career choices that their family friends are saying or their own friends are saying, see if they like it or not. But in this case, it seems Prashan that your family, friends and your inner circle kind of knew where your path is going to take you because of your energy and your excitement in that uh, education space. I guess they saw it. I, I, I won't say I wasn't confused uh, sitting at university. I still wasn't sure where I'll probably end up. I 
did think I'll end up in more research and um, getting data and reading articles and synthesizing and summarizing it. So I did see a career in academia, uh, but uh, it took some while while I started teaching itself to realize, okay, my comparative advantage is teaching actually because I've been doing it anyway and doing that first year of tutoring just confirmed it. So I wouldn't say I was 0% confused. I wasn't confused at all. Uh, but uh, I guess advice to anyone is step in, try it out, and then you will realize whether it aligns with your passions and dreams. Uh, you will always think, is this right for me, whether it's teaching or accounting or medicine or whichever field. Uh, take a step, try it out. And you can always pivot to a different uh, career or venture in life. And the experiences you have in the first one will transfer the skills you learn, whether it's conflict resolution, communication, teamwork, they still transfer along. Uh, the great setup we have in Australia is that if everything was to fail, including your family support, Centrelink will look after you. So there's no risk when you're young. So do take those opportunities. And we um, have a great system in terms of access to education, whether it's university or TAFE or uh, vocational studies or traineeships, apprenticeships. There's so much support. So you're not really taking a risk uh, if you try different things because there's so much support around you. Mm. So main thing is to not sit there undecided, try things out, and you can easily pivot and change if things don't work out. Mm. I think that's really, really important, especially for us who are just finishing up uni and even those who are just entering uni for the first time and they can seek people like you, Prashant, to get mentorship and advice on where is their path in life? Like what do they, what is their purpose? What is they really love to do and wake up and do every single day? And hearing your story about how that all sparked, it's really great because when I talk to some of my friends and some of the people that I know from work, for example, some of them still don't know where they will end up in the next three to four years. They're still not too sure if this is the right job or occupation for them, or is it something else? And I love that idea of just stepping in, leaping into that opportunity, have a go, and then figuring out whether this is something you enjoy waking up to every day. And um, if not, as you said, this country has a very strong safety net. Um, and it's a great way of just leaping into other opportunities, other spaces, reaching out to other people, especially through LinkedIn, for example, uh, that one cold message you never know could go a long way. I think that's really great. Um, yeah, so just kind of moving into and I the, guess, yeah. I, and if I may add to that, Harry. Yep. And I guess um, a lot of the fear, whether it's choosing something to study or choosing a career path, I think a lot of the fear may be coming from the previous generation, which didn't necessarily have that support and backup mm. systems and structures in place. We have now developed uh, as an economy, as a society in Australia, that there are so many structures and systems and opportunities in place. So you're actually living in a developed society and economy with so much options and opportunities that you don't need to have that fear when you're a teenager all the way to your 30s, I would say, because you've got so much support in terms of studying what you want to do and working in the field that you want to do. 
And uh, it's just a matter of stepping out. The risk is actually very low given all the support that's already there. Mm, yeah. And that's something that we need to translate into others for other students to think about. Because a lot of people don't really realize that when they enter university, they just feel extremely puzzled about where they want to go. And that fear factor, Prashant, that you were mentioning, a lot of people just don't want to ask a simple question to get that help, I feel. Um, and I think Narayan also wanted to resonate with that in terms of that career advice, especially for someone who's doing like Bachelor of Commerce, for example. It's so vast, so many different fields in commerce. Mm. And um, when someone just looks at commerce from an outside angle, they don't know the, the, the each segment of commerce, like marketing, finance, accounting, all of these other niche areas, people tend to get very uh, confused and feel overwhelmed. So my next part that I wanted to ask you before I turn it over to Narin is how have you kind of guided students during your lectures to kind of uh, follow what they are interested in and follow that particular pathway and kind of reduce the confusing um, nature of it, commerce, for example? How do you kind of make sure that mentorship is there for them? Yeah, I mean, that question is there even right now when students are going through the HSC and ATAR offers. Uh, it's a question mm. I've answered this week to several students and parents. So where do I begin with this? Because it's so uh, common yet complex. Mm. Give me a, five seconds to see where I start with this. No worries. Okay, so... There's so much opportunity, so much choice, and commerce is a very broad term when it comes to the field of business. As you said, it goes all the way from marketing to finance to human resource management to business analytics. It's very vast and very broad. And it's very hard, let's say, for a 17, 18, 19-year-old to decide what exactly from that huge buffet of different majors and disciplines and specializations that they might want to end up in. So my advice is always choose something. If you know it's going to be in the general area of business, okay, Bachelor of Commerce is a very riskless choice for you. If your general area is in the humanities, a Bachelor of Arts is a very low risk choice for you. If you want to enroll in something related to the sciences, a Bachelor of Science is a very low risk choice for you because the way, whether it's Macquarie University, UNSW or any university in Australia, the UK as well, is the way it's designed, you get tasters for these discipline areas in your first year. Often the first year is actually quite broad, giving you a taste of many different disciplines to begin with. So you may have decided, I think I want to be a marketer. I'm going to major in marketing. Tough luck. In your first year, you'll still have to do a little bit of accounting, finance, management, economics, analytics, statistics anyway. Why? Because as a marketer, you still need to know a little bit at least about these things because marketing does not work in isolation in a business organization whether it's profit or for not or non-profit. So we will give you the tasters of a taster of everything. When you do that, you will then get the opportunity to retune what your choice was. Okay, I thought I want to be a marketer. I had a taste of marketing. I also had a taste of finance. I reckon I want to work in finance. 
the way courses are designed across Australia, you can easily transfer. You can do a double major or a double degree. Like I said, going back to the point about so many options and opportunities. Let's say you change your mind after three years. It's still not the end of the world because when you change your degree, you never lose the credit that you already have. Your employer will always see the transcript of the subjects you chose before. You can then say, hey, I graduated with a finance major, but I've got all this marketing knowledge as well. Look at my transcript. They will hire you knowing that you will have excellent communication skills, excellent teamwork skills, and have the finance backing as well. Everything you do, your portfolio of knowledge, whether it's your portfolio, whether it's knowledge from university or work experience from McDonald's all the way to a bank, all of that is something that adds to your your portfolio, your CV, your resume, and that always is a plus. So all these experiences are always a plus. And I go back to my previous point. The most important thing is for you to make a decision and then pivot change along the way you're not locked in for life i mm. hope i've answered the question mm. yeah i'm reflecting on just my experience as well because i just graduated last year november and kind of relating to some of the things you're saying about how you i did commerce with economics uh, as a double degree and i'm just i was just thinking to myself while you were explaining mm. that how I was in that picture in the first two, three years of university, I still wasn't too sure if I'm going to stick to commerce or not. I did like it, but I was wondering, should I also do something else mm-hmm. or not? In the end, I continued to like it, but I really love that way of experimenting and figuring out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I took on economics on top of commerce because I was really passionate about that subject as well. So the other thing is, apart from looking back at subjects you did or work you did, and then you change to something completely different. I always have this viewpoint, and it's very valid, I believe, is don't just think of that subject or that work experience for that content alone. So a common one is students who did maths in school. They tell us, I never use trigonometry, even though I learned it. I'm working in marketing. I've never used trigonometry. But don't just think about that content. Think about the way it trained your brain and gave you extra neural connections and trained your brain to problem solve and have givens and unknowns and try to work things out. That generic transferable skill is also valuable and you don't even realize that it's sticking with you when you're solving a problem in a completely different area. So... When I say take steps of faith and do something, and I said that you never lose what you've already tried, it's not just the knowledge, it's just the experience and the way your brain is now being trained. And that's also transferable. And that's never a loss in um, the decision-making process and the journey process. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's those experiential benefits, I guess. Is that what you're leaning to, those experiential benefits and having a go and trying out those particular... It's the experience, yes. So that is actually another good angle, yes. So, okay, trigonometry is difficult and you go through the process and you overcome a challenge or you learn from failure. 
that's also a learning, I would say. That's a great point. I was also going from the angle of the actual scientific cognitive uh, interactions in your brain. Uh, I have a colleague uh, from the Department of Cognitive Sciences at Macquarie, and he was telling me, like, when you're learning different subjects, different parts of the brain get triggered and more connections occur. So when you're trying different disciplines, even if you don't appreciate the content of trigonometry or photosynthesis or uh, Renaissance art, it's still connecting your brain in different ways and shapes and forms that get reactivated in a different context where you're working in marketing or finance and those new neural pathways and connections now get reactivated to help you solve a problem in a completely different space. So you should always appreciate those seemingly unnecessary subjects as actually helping your growth as an individual because there's something scientific happening up there that will benefit you later. <laughs> I think a lot of first years need to hear that because everyone thinks, why do I have to do this subject? Why do I have to do that subject? A lot of maths in economics, for example, um, especially for the level one, level two, you're thinking, why is there so much maths? And I think Narayan also related to that as well. Um, and uh, it's just crazy. Like a lot of students just feel so overwhelmed because no one tells them, like, as you're saying, Prashant, no one tells them. But yeah, like no one guides them, you know. In uni, you're very independent. There's no spoon feeding, nothing. You have to figure it out and talk to people, take that initiative uh, and that fear factor, eliminate that. That's what I feel a lot of students are having that burden on. A fear burden where they, they don't want to reach out and ask for help or ask for some guidance um, and if they ask that's when they can get rewarded in terms of that advice or that mentorship so something first year students definitely need to hear i'll pass it on to naren i think he had a question here no i really like what prashant talked about the idea of how whilst students may not necessarily see the linkage between what they're studying and how it applies to what they might do in the future I really love that idea. And I, what Harry said is very true for first year students um, or even for all of us, the idea that learning, taking away the, the way in which our brain um, connects with those particular subjects and the way we think during um, uh, doing those particular subjects, I think that is so valuable because that is what is usually then transferred when you go to the workplace. Um, and so I really, wanted to, uh, I really just wanted to say that that was a really good perspective. And leading, leading from that, I wanted to ask, because I'm a Bachelor of Commerce student, and I'm going to assume a lot of our listeners are also in the business stream as well. Um, when it comes to looking at things like skills, technical or soft, in your opinion, you know, being a course director of one of the biggest degrees uh, across uh, any university in the world, um, with, which you know, it takes in a lot of students, um, and business being such a multidisciplinary field, full of opportunities what do you think um i would I, I would say what are your top three skills that you think students should really focus on developing now and getting ready um to then use that in the in the workforce and show their colors using those skills what do you think your top three would be <clears throat> i can think of two right now uh, and I'm trying to think of out of the box answers by not saying the traditional communicate and teamwork I would say empathy and agility. I'll start with agility. The last 
two and a half years have shown that agility, that agile mindset, that growth mindset has been pivotal for the success of organizations and individuals. Technology is changing all the time, as we know, and the economy uh, can fluctuate, as we know. And then the last two and a half, three years have shown that we can get a curveball of shock, such as a pandemic, which hadn't occurred for a few generations. And if you have a mindset that's quite fixed, I have studied accounting. I am going to be an accountant. I am going to be qualified as a CA or CPA. And the people I see in this field, that's exactly what I'm going to be like. I guess the last few years have shown that you've got to think differently about your skills. Think about the transferable skills you have and always be continuously learning. You're a lifelong learner, whether it's discipline-specific lifelong learning or learning about what's happening in the world around you, what are the latest developments when it comes to technology or sustainability or society in general, so that you can constantly evolve and be ahead of the curve, to take a phrase, so that when opportunities come, you are able to adjust, adapt, be agile and go take your skill set, whether it's the transferable skills or the subject knowledge, technical skills, and you go into that new venture. So right now, for example, you've got the topic of the day on my LinkedIn. Every second post seems to be about ChatGPT, making different jobs uh, redundant, for example. Well, use it as an advantage. Think of ways how you can use what's happening in the world to come up with a new way for your job to work so that you can repivot your skills to think of what might I do now that I'm in law, but there's ChatGPT summarizing all the articles for me. I'm a law grad. Um, if ChatGPT is summarizing all the cases, now my grad role is redundant, what can I do? I don't know the answer to that question, but if you've got this mindset of constantly wanting to learn, you will figure out new ways to pivot your skills and create a role for you. In fact, the definition of employability is the ability to not just sustain meaningful work, but to create meaningful work. Two generations ago, you applied for jobs. You went to the newspaper and you applied for jobs or you went online nowadays and you applied for jobs. But now you might be creating jobs for yourselves. You showcase your skills, maybe on LinkedIn. People see what you're doing and they come up with a startup idea. They come up with a business idea. They've seen you showcase your skills on LinkedIn and they say, I've seen Naren. He's doing some great work in commerce. He's getting involved in student societies. He had this great presentation the other day that I saw. He was great at his people skills in the way he answered questions and handled the speakers and the guests. I might want to give Naren a call and make him um, a part, um, join our startup idea and we could work together. It's, we've seen students create work for themselves. I've had so many students in the last two years, they've done the traditional thing, applied for the grad roles, and they've secured jobs. But I've also got students 
who just get approached by people on LinkedIn and say, hey, I would like you to join our team. They didn't apply. They didn't go for an interview. They just get approached and they get poached. Uh, and they come to me and say, "This is this real? This could be fake. And I'm like, no, that's a real company. They exist in the UK. They're just launching in Australia. It's a legitimate job. Don't stress. Go for it. Um, so I think you've got to have that mindset uh, that the world has changed and is changing. So that was agility. Empathy, um, a great skill to have because whether it's technology, computers, artificial intelligence, they're not going to feel for you. They're not going to care about your mental health, well-being as a human and be able to pivot human emotions to bring others alongside. You're not just doing a commerce degree or other degrees for your benefit. You're doing these degrees to help. We like to say at Macquarie in our Bachelor of Commerce, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which includes social goals, environmental goals, and economic goals. So your skill set is to benefit those around you as well. When you have a skill of empathy in the workplace, you will see the new grads come in and you want to help them. You will be able to use the skill of empathy when you're in a management position, in a leadership position, and be an effective manager and leader that your team looks up to and wants to work for. So I think when you have agility from a skills perspective, I will say agility from your head and empathy from your heart, you would make an excellent graduate uh, no matter how the world evolves and changes. And um, I hope I've answered the question from not top three, but top two skills. No, that is a really good answer. And I think our listeners will really like those two skills because those two are not commonly talked about. And I really like the idea of um, being agile, being adaptable to our changing environment. Because as you said, uh, recently this chat GPT uh, technology has been really just fast tracking the revolutionization of so many things. Um, We're able to now quickly do so many things. And I feel as though... um, Small things like that, I mean, you have to be ready for it. Um, And I I like the idea of uh, going back to how you've talked about this fear factor, looking at something like ChatGPT, the perspective you gave here, I really like that idea, how you can look at it as not being something fearful of, of, of like the idea that, oh, you know, this is going to make me redundant, but rather how can I use it or how can I leverage it in my existing or current job? And I really like that idea and I think our listeners will love that. and so, yeah, I mean, the two skills that you've given, definitely something I would take on as a Bachelor of Commerce student, some, someone pursuing marketing. And I feel as though um, many of our, uh, our listeners will resonate with those well. Um, a follow-up question for you, Prashan, is I wanted to know a little bit more about, um, you know, you're, you're, you've been a senior lecturer. You're currently the course director of the Bachelor of Commerce. Um, and on this podcast, we go from everything from self-development to productivity. And I wanted to touch on productivity and kind of tap into your, to your personal life and understand how, how do you currently achieve some form of balance? Do you, first of all, do you achieve balance in your life right now? Do you think you achieve balance? And if you do, how do you kind of define um, what balance is to you? And then if you do have some advice or key takeaways on how students can achieve balance in their university life, because you know, I've, I've had plenty of friends, plenty of 
people that I know that are saying to me, you know, I'm struggling to do this. I'm struggling to uh, have a part-time job, to do full-time uni, to um, be involved with societies, other societies within um, their university. Um, I want to take on this hobby. I want to go to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to just tap into your personal life and see, um, you know, what, what, what does balance look like to you? And what are some tips and advice you can give to students to achieve some balance in their university life and get them through uh, the next couple of years? Okay, so we're back to non-traditional, non-standard answers for this question because I've heard, seen, and received advice from others, and I don't practice any of that. Uh, I do it a bit differently. It kind of ties into the themes I've talked about before, that everything works together. So the way I approach it is I try to make sure there's not as much disconnect as possible and that everything works together so that I mentally feel that it is balanced. For example, I'll start with a simple, obvious one, uh, the gym. Uh, if I go to the gym, I don't section that off as that's my balance and that's the health, uh, that's my personal time. I can also think of it as if I am healthy and I am fit, I am able to do my job well. I am there for my students. I am more mentally aware. I can deliver my classes um, because I am fitter and I can deliver my classes because I'm not tired, because I've got that, um, I don't know the scientific word for it, but when you go to the gym, you don't get tired. You actually get more energized. Uh, you might know the scientific term for the chemical or hormone there. Uh, but um, so I try to think of it in that way so that uh, I feel that they are all connected. So I think I achieve balance from that perspective. Otherwise, me personally, uh, I would feel that I am constantly juggling one or the other. And then balance comes to, let's say, school. Uh, my kids are in school and I am teaching at university. So I try to create a connection there as well. So uh, I like to tell my kids about my day at work, but I do that by translating some of what, I've, what I'm teaching to my eight-year-old and my 12-year-old. So now we're creating a family conversation, linking it to education because... I'm Sri Lankan ancestry. We love education. We bring it home as well. And then I connect it to their studies. And then I learn about their day and how they're learning at school. So I'm trying to create as much connections as possible so that there's no disconnect. Um, I bring the kids uh, to the campus for bike rides uh, because they uh, enjoy bike riding. Why not have a bike ride on campus? Um, not everybody works at a university, but why not take your kids to work so that they see what you're doing and then they have some context for it. Uh, so I think I like to create more connections so that um, I feel that it's balanced in that way and I'm not constantly changing from Prashan at work to Prashan at home. Now, I don't know if that's the best advice for everybody because everyone's different. So please don't take this idea and then... Uh, 
have a bad mental health situation, I think uh, it may work for some people. It may not work for many people. Uh, but I, that's what I try my best to do. Uh, otherwise, I think I will have bad mental health from constantly switching in my head. Uh, my wife is good at that, uh, switching uh, roles. I think uh, she's much better at that. But I think of it holistically. Yeah, no, I think uh, at least our listeners can take your perspective and experiment with it, you know. As they say, if you don't know, if you don't try, you won't know. And so that's something I think definitely students can uh, play around with that idea of developing a connection with what you do um, and kind of uh, not seeing everything as independent, but rather bringing everything together and seeing the interdependence that everything can um, um, have. And actually, if I may add to that, I saw this uh, LinkedIn post two or three days ago, and um, there's this constant discussion on LinkedIn. Do you post personal stuff on LinkedIn or do you only keep it professional? And this gentleman, I don't know who he is. They, they're not even Australian. Uh, they posted a picture of their prematurely born child that is now uh, quite healthy. And they said, look, for them not to share that aspect of their life, and being a team leader and to then be effective at work without others knowing about what they're going through, they felt that it was unauthentic for him to disconnect what's happening in his personal struggle and be effective at work because then he's modeling it to his team members who may be struggling and not reveal that to him as the team leader so he was actively showcasing him uh, linking family and work so that his the people who report to him will be able to um, be uh, authentic at work by showing what what they might be going through so that he can make sure that they have optimal workplace settings so um, yeah I guess there's a bit of a debate going on as well on that topic. Like I've seen a lot of, lot of personal um, things on LinkedIn and I always think like, is it necessary to post it on this rather than um, let's say Instagram or Facebook, or even their own WhatsApp group or messenger group. Like I always think, is there a certain barrier to how much personal stuff you can post on LinkedIn? Because of course there are strangers and stuff and not everyone is going to like what you post sometimes. Right. Um, and especially as you were saying, the premature born mm. baby, Prashan, those, that type of content and family related content or someone, something tragic might've happened. Some, I, pe- I've seen people post still stuff on that, like even though it's for job related content, right. Or resume content or career development content. That's what I always think of LinkedIn. Um, so do you feel like there, sh- there should be some sort of barrier or limit Prashan to like what we post on LinkedIn and especially personal content? Do you feel that should be diverted to other avenues? I guess it depends on, on the mantle you already have. So in the context of the example I gave, that person felt that they were responsible for the team's culture uh, and they wanted to make sure that um, others in the team were um, willing to um, showcase what's happening in their lives as well. Um, but it may not be, it might be completely different for 
uh, somebody else, uh, like a graduate, let's say, uh, posting personal stuff on LinkedIn like that, because an employer could view that with the lens of mm -hmm. this person is unable to navigate uh, and um, navigate life challenges. And um, I'm not saying that the employer is right or wrong. It could be actually wrong. That person could very well be able to navigate life challenges. Mm -hmm. But when it's a single post, the perception can be negative and harm you. Uh, so I guess you have to be cluey regarding what mantle do you have, who who is reading it, who is your audience, mm -hmm. and um, be, uh, be mindful that different people can post different levels of personal achievements or personal struggles. Um, and uh, it really depends on who your audience is and what stage of your career or life journey you are. Yes, so not everybody can post the same things, fortunately or unfortunately. Mm. I guess some emotional intelligence also plays around like the employer's perspective, the friend's perspective or colleague's perspective when they see that because when you post it, it goes to all your connections and if they like it, then it goes to the connections of connections, right? So I feel like that emotional intelligence, even with your kids as well, Prashan, like the way you teach them and you can see their way of reacting to what you teach and hearing about your day, uh, that's very similar to what you post on LinkedIn as well, talking about your day or some, some great achievement you did or something that might have happened in your life that you want to share to other people. That emotional intelligence that I've learned through uni and seeing how other people perceive you, it can sometimes be manipulated by what you post online or how you talk to other people. Um, that's something that I've seen very common uh, online and in person as well. Quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. Very much so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is quite a staggering topic, especially the behavioral finance topic. You know, when we talk about this way of perceiving people and seeing how people react to certain things and posting certain things how is our emotions tied to that are we feeling more surprised or excited or does it make us feel um a bit more you know disappointed or make us feel anxious about something so something interesting to think about for later but what i want to do now prashan is kind of move on to something that i like to really talk to you about and i was wanting to ask you this is your international experience of teaching um i think it's really really riveting to see your international exposure across many different countries, especially in South Asia. And I wanted to ask you, the, the students that you taught in those countries and the workshops that you delivered in those countries, what are some, what is some feedback that you can get from those students about how you taught? Did you learn anything uh, from that experience regarding the way you teach, the way you give feedback? And if so, what can you share to today's teachers in universities, young teachers especially, who are just starting their teaching career? Yes, that is a great question. And I would say, um, to preface what I'm going to say next, is if you're teaching or whatever whatever uh, job area you're, you end up in, Always take take the opportunities that come your way to practice your skill set in a completely different setting. So if it's teaching in another country, but it could be like you are working in accounting or marketing and you've got the opportunity to do a month in another branch of your 
uh, organization overseas, take take up that opportunity because practicing your skill set in a completely different cultural, uh, geographical background will challenge the way that you perceive what are givens that are not necessarily givens. And then you rethink the way you do what you do. So for me, it is teaching. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, I've run student and staff workshops uh, across different countries in South Asia. I've also taught uh, proper courses uh, for students uh, in the UAE and in Singapore. And by doing that teaching in now three, three geographical cultural contexts, the Middle East, South Asia, and Singapore, Southeast Asia, uh, I get perspectives about, oh, what I'm doing doesn't work here necessarily, or what I'm doing is working even better here than I thought it would work uh, back in Australia, in Sydney. So when you, so for example, in, here's a funny cultural example. Um, when I'm teaching in South Asia, even though I am of South Asian ancestry, when I ask a question or they, I get a positive response from the students, they shook their head from side to side, which is the South Asian, yes, I understood. And I was completely confused. Are they saying yes or are they saying no? And so I re realized that the nod from side to side is actually agreement and a positive feedback. And so what's taken as a given in Australia, you would nod up and down in agreement, but in another cultural context, they nod the other way. So now imagine if you had no South Asian knowledge at all and you're a complete foreigner to that land, you will be so confused that about the way that they are uh, agreeing or disagreeing with you. So then you have to clarify this. So you learn all these little things that then you bring back to your classroom in Sydney and go, oh, okay, if I get a student from South Asia, they might not the other way. And I have to understand that they're saying yes and they're not saying no. Um, or even interesting, in Australia, we say multiply. And we say two times five equals 10. Or five times two equals 10. In South Asia, they will say two into five. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're putting the two into the five? Uh, then for me, <laughs> the answer is two and a half because I can have two and a half twos inside that five. Um, is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, so yeah. again, the maths, the way this conveyed is confusing. And then I correct them and say, well, not correct them, but I advise them. That's great. That makes sense to you here. But if you end up working for a foreign company or you work overseas or you have a team member in Europe, or in Australia, you're going to really confuse them and you're going to probably make a million dollar contract go completely the wrong way by putting the, a weird Excel entry or translating that incorrectly to somebody else. So you've got to make sure you change your language. So 
different cultural things and different technical things. Um, in general, though, going back to what I said before, always practice your skill set in foreign opportunities to sharpen uh, the way you present yourself and also to remember that what you think is given is not a given, which goes back to that agile and growth mindset. So now it's not a pandemic that's changing the way you apply your skills. Now you're applying your skills purposely in a different cultural and geographic background. And then you learn, you learn from it. You're always learning new people skills uh, and new transferable skills by dealing with uh, different uh, cultures and geographies. I hope I've answered the question. Mm. I see that cultural adaptation coming along uh, when you try to tailor your teaching services or kind of resonate that teaching style across different groups of students from different cultural backgrounds. And like I used to tutor, uh, and I still do tutor a bit, but not as much as before uh, for HEC students in English advanced. And um, I, when I was teaching those students, some did the standard English, some did advanced English, and I had one or two students that did the extension English. So to, to, to try and tailor the content to that particular students and uh, looking at their weaknesses and strengths was something that I tried to identify first and then see, okay, how did they like to be taught? Uh, what type of learning style do they like? Is it the flashcard method? Is it kind of active recall and testing yourself often? Um, is it summaries and then talking through those summaries with them? How did they feel like they should get taught? So I felt that um, when you were telling your story, Prashant, of your international experience, I was trying to imagine how I would be if I took that international experience. Would I kind of follow those steps and kind of ask questions and see what is your teaching style like? Do you prefer alternative A or alternative B uh, in the way I teach to you guys. Is that some some sort of questioning you did, Prashant, like figure out what students wanted from you? Like you got feedback to see what's the best way to teach them or how did you kind of figure out that way of teaching? Because I can see you've got a lot of good reviews in the way you teach. How did you figure that out? Oh, thanks, Harry. <laughs> so then that goes back to my background question. So before I arrived in Australia for grade 11, I had, I lived in, I was born in Sri Lanka, age two, moved to Saudi Arabia, age four, moved back to Sri Lanka, age seven, moved back to Saudi Arabia. So I did a bit of schooling in Sri Lanka, age five and six, did grade uh, age seven, eight and nine in Saudi Arabia. Then Gulf War came, ended up in Fiji, did ages nine to 13 in Fiji. Then went back to Sri Lanka, did ages 13 to 16 in Sri Lanka, and then did grade 11 and 12 in Australia. In all of that, obviously different cultural geographical exposures, but also different teaching styles. Uh, if you look at all of them, I've got public school, private school, selective school, international school, Catholic school, all boys, co-ed, all of it's there. The only type of school I haven't been to is an all-girls school, um, <laughs> but obviously. Um, so I have adopted all of these different teaching styles when I teach the Bachelor of Commerce students at mm -hmm. Macquarie. So my approach is eclectic. Because Australian universities, Macquarie, UNSW, UCID, all around Australia, most universities in Australia are huge. 
I don't know the statistics, but I'm pretty sure that we have the largest average cohorts for any university in the world. Um, Macquarie has 40,000 students, and that's a medium-sized university for Australia. There are universities in Melbourne with more than 100,000 students. So we have large cohorts. So to pick a teaching style is risky because law of large numbers, there's going to be students in the audience who have completely different learning styles. Yeah. So you have to be eclectic in your approach and have content presented in the learning management side, Moodle or whatever system your university uses to have content in different shapes and forms, short videos, long videos, podcasts, PDF files, interactive activities, um, text, pictures, graphics. And I tell my students, we call it iLearn at Macquarie, and, I, and it's Moodle-based, and I say, there's so much content here, you don't need to look at everything, but make sure you look at at least two or three things, because you need to learn, obviously, so see something, but don't think you have to choose everything there, because I've simply got lots of content there um, for different learning styles. So even when I teach, I've got um, visuals, I've got audio, I even put music in my classes to make sure I get those students in that sense as well. Yeah. Um, when I teach first year economics, I make sure I have at least one Disney music reference in each week's topics. Because again, going back to my colleague in cognitive sciences, again, yeah. that helps students with their memory recall. Mm -hmm. um, and that approach is called teaching via parables. So. I would teach economics, for example, let's say different market structures. And uh, you know, you have perfect competition all the way to a monopoly. And you can teach that in a theoretical way with all big business commerce words, or you could teach it in a parable way. And the parable I use is from the very popular movie that both Hari and Naren love is Frozen. In Frozen, you have two sisters, Princess Anna and Princess Elsa. Which princess has the power, Anna or Elsa? I'm asking you a question. Elsa, probably. <laughs> Elsa has all the power. Elsa has the power that she has, but she stays behind barriers. She has to stay in her room, otherwise her power will harm everybody. Mm. So in a monopoly, what do we know about monopolies? They're monopolies because of barriers to entry. Exactly. They are able to have their market power because of barriers to entry. The other sister, you know through the movie and you watch the movie, Princess Anna, loves opening all the doors, loves opening all the windows. She has a few songs and dances about opening windows and doors. Perfect competition, no barriers to entry. Everyone loves you, everyone wants to come in, Everyone loves the market from a firm perspective. They want to come in, but firms don't have market power. There's too many uh, players in the market. Very simple parable to connect that part of your brain, and then you go into deeper, more technical ideas. It's just a small three-minute, four-minute story to connect that part of your brain. Also, a good icebreaker in the middle of a two-hour lecture, so serves multiple purposes, and... Students tell me later in the semester that helped me remember and that helped me tag along the technical ideas because not everyone's technical necessarily. 
So I guess my advice, if you're teaching, if you're learning, is to have an eclectic approach. If you're learning, challenge yourself to, I said this before, you don't like trigonometry, but challenge yourself for the experience of uh, being challenged and also getting your brain rewired so that you can use that neural connection for something else. And if you're teaching, try an eclectic approach because your audiences are likely to be large and everyone has different learning styles. So coming to your other question, how do I know uh, whether it works? I guess it has to work because if you use many things, you're bound to capture someone. Yeah. <laughs> so Experimentation. <laughs> Ah, that's 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 really great in terms of the way you kind of create fun storytelling, I guess. And I know very few lecturers who do that fun storytelling during the lecture. We had one lecturer, a French lecturer. It was a behavioral finance course. And the way she kind of engaged us to remember content, some of the words were kind of challenging to remember, especially learning about uh, the dopamine effect and how that affects irrational thinking. All those things were learned in behavioral finance. And sometimes it can get, can get very complicated. So similar to what you did, Prashan, she used very funny images or very funny emojis to kind of reflect that theory. And that is what we remember during the exam to make it easier to understand and comprehend. Uh, it's a really great way of just even doing it at home and right. doing your homework and uh, just studying for that next exam. It can be very, very dull, very tedious when you go through so much content, especially, especially academia. Um, when you're especially doing a bachelor's, master's, or even PhD, there's a lot of research to kind of go through. So I love how you kind of talk about that, Prashad, in terms of converting something so monotonous or so dull into something really fun and, you know, kind of creates that brightness in the way you learn about something, right? So I feel like that aspect of storytelling to your students in your lectures, Prashan, is really fantastic. And uh, more students need to kind of engage in those things especially if it's to do with, um, let's say we use allusions or metaphors from a movie into the theory we learn in economics, right? I think it's a great way of just remembering it and sticking with it. And if I can add one more thing, since your audience uh, uh, are university-age students, now take that approach to your own studying technique. Don't if, if you predominantly only study by typing notes into Microsoft Word, Try different approaches. Try that. Keep that. I'm not saying stop that. But also try pen and paper. Also try uh, making notes in a book so you are now engaging your brain in a different way. Also try highlighting in a physical book, not just a digital book. So be eclectic in your approach of studying so that you have different ways of memory recall and then back to the scientific thing I said before, again, different parts of the brain will get triggered for memory recall because you've done a little bit on Word on the computer, you've done a little bit on your notebook, you've done a little bit in the textbook, and now you have different anchor points for uh, remembering and synthesizing knowledge. Mm. And the repeated intervals as well. Probably you do a session in the morning and then you come back and probably do it again in the evening or nighttime. So that repetition once, uh, twice a day, let's say, kind of ingrains all the stuff you learn, right? Mm. That's a great point too. I love that. Uh, I haven't tried that myself. Um, okay. Yes, different times of the day. Again, um, 
there's different lighting, there's different uh, physiological conditions in your body, uh, there's different things you've done in the day, so different ways for you to uh, help your studying as well by being eclectic about the times that you study True. Mm. Definitely. A lot of students need to think about that and foster this into their own learning styles. And then um, it's a great way of just remembering information, not just for the exam, but also into the long term. Let's say 10 years later, you might come back to that concept in a conversation. Who knows? Mm. Very much so. <laughs> so I'll pass it on to Naren if he has another question or something he'd like to ask. Yeah, sure. I can see we're nearly at the hour mark. So I'll, I have one question and then I'll throw it back to you, Harry. I, I asked this in the last podcast as well because I love asking this question. Um, and it's got to do with uh, no books. I, I always love asking people, what do you read? What are your recommendations? And with, with this one, I want to be a bit more particular um, because, you know, we're talking about the Bachelor of Commerce and, you know, that being a business degree. If you do have... A recommendation, Prashant. Um, what book or books, uh, if you do have more than one, would you say any any student in the business stream should pick up and read um, in this day and age? Is there anything that you've currently read or even read a couple of years ago that you think is still applicable to today's business world? What is that one book or couple of books you might recommend to all the business students that are listening to the podcast right now? And yet again, I'll give you an out-of-the-box uh, answer for that. I would go by... Yes, we love out-of-the-box answers. I don't know. We can't call it a physical book. Um, I would say when you go on LinkedIn and you have uh, leaders and influencers and um, thought leaders, I would say, they usually have uh, very interesting... Um, because in LinkedIn, you can not just post, but you can have articles and um, that you can create within LinkedIn. And if you, and I can't pick and choose a single person, but um, depending on the way my feed works, you'll always find uh, their articles, which synthesize their experiences and their readings from great books. And you will be, you'll receive some leadership lessons for yourself that uh, encourage you, but also challenge you. So um, this is my approach. Uh, I usually uh, read what they've written, which synthesizes a, a different um, set of experiences that they've had with the readings that they've had and the lessons they've learned. And I like reading those. Um, so I might recommend that. Um, to students uh, and they're easily available and they're quite inspirational and i would like love to plug my own students who do this on linkedin and i like reading their linkedin articles as well and it's great for me to see how somebody i taught five ten years ago has now learned and experienced the workplace and uh, they're writing their pieces, which then inspires me, um, myself. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a really good take. I think, uh, because to our listeners, all you have to do now is just download LinkedIn and you can have access to all of that for free. Uh, so, so you don't even need to pay a dollar for it. Um, and I absolutely agree with that. I, the idea that you can learn so much through LinkedIn. Um, you can just read what these wonderful people post 
and you can take away so much. I've seen these little snapshots or short slides, you know, one to 20 slides of useful skills or useful uh, life experiences or uh, self-development tips. So I absolutely agree with that idea. And I think our listeners um, will absolutely agree with it as well. But um, yeah, I will say, I will give it back to Harry to wrap it up as we are at the hour mark. Yeah, I mean, time limit for now, it's not too much of a worry. I feel like this conversation is just really, really great as we delve deeper, deeper into the educational space. And as you said, Prashant, LinkedIn is like a, a gem or like a gold mine, right? So many unlimited resources. And there isn't like a storage limit. I've saved many articles. <laughs> and those, as Naren said, the slideshow or presentations of different resources like ChatGPT tutorials or Excel tutorial or whatever it is, even public speaking and the um, soft skills to kind of develop over your career. I've saved all those articles on LinkedIn, no storage or whatever so far. I've got so many saved up. Um, I feel like the only thing is no one really talks about these things um, even um, during the lecture or even during tutorials, no one really talks about this skill development uh, in, in their own careers. Like everyone talks about, let's say, the subject or the course. So, for example, economics in a tutorial, but no one actually leans into the skill development regarding soft skills or the way we storytell uh, when communicating to other people within the workforce. I feel like this needs to be done more often using LinkedIn resources or YouTube resources. I feel like that's something that should be added to the syllabus when people are teaching. Uh, as we come into the day and age of AI um, technology, ChatGPT, this is revolutionizing the way we kind of work and talk to people as well. So I feel like this is really fascinating uh, to delve in further and study about. But uh, yeah, we'll just probably wrap it up there, Prashan. And um, I think today's episode was just great to talk about your passion in education, your love for teaching others. And me, who used to be a tutor, especially for HSC students, it's just really great to hear your story on how you teach other people and how I can apply that and how our, some of our listeners can apply that in their way uh, when they're teaching their own students or trying to listen to their lecturers in terms of how do they get the knowledge and then how do they apply it in the real world. I think that's all what we really want in the end of the day, right? Uh, so yeah, Prashant, thank you so much for joining us in today's episode to talk about your educational journey, your personal experiences. We are really grateful for that. Thank you so much for your insights. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast series. We hope you have taken away some valuable insights that can be applied to your own life experiences. If you found this to be useful, we appreciate you reviewing and sharing the podcast with others who may be interested. Follow us on LinkedIn by typing in Brightness Unleashed in the search bar to stay updated with future content. Enjoy your day and see you in the next one.